Good morning, everyone. Okay, so the reading today is from um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through to the end of the chapter, verse 31. Um, the Bible in the, under the pews that has Holy Bible, that'll be page 813, and the one with the logo should be 1,153. Now about the gifts of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is cursed, and no one who can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, 
and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and every one of you is a part of it. And God has placed the church, first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let's um, come before our Lord in a word of prayer. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this time we share together now. Thank you for your word. And we pray that you'd help us to understand more of it. And Lord, we pray for your help to put it into action, into practice in our lives. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when it comes to uh, talking about spiritual things with people, I've sometimes found it a bit hard to get the ball rolling. Uh, it's good to share the gospel. It's good to tell people about salvation that comes uh, through Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. But you've got to get the conversation off the block somewhere at some stage. And I've noticed that uh, Australians tend to push thoughts about spiritual things uh, to the periphery, to their, the back of their minds. But I have noticed that when it comes to funerals, that's a time when I've heard people are a bit more reflective about spiritual things and you can have more of a conversation about the things of God. I've even heard of people who've doubted life after death, yet when they're at a funeral, they start to say things like, well, I think he's in a better place now and, and he's looking down on us. Someone who would normally say there is nothing, they start to think more in, in terms of, of spiritual things. Uh, even one of, this is going to go over some of your heads this next bit, uh, but there's one of England's hardest soccer players, a guy called Vinnie Jones. Uh, he, he's, a, he's in the top ten, I think, of English hardest soccer players. Uh, he even was interviewed recently. Sadly, his wife battled with cancer and she died recently. And in the interview, he talked about his wife and her, her words to him. And she said to him, don't, don't be sad, I'll, I'll be waiting for you. And so there was poor Vinny on, uh, on a TV program and he was pretty upset about this state of affairs. But he said through some tears, and I believe her, 
I really do believe that she'll be there waiting for me. And so even some people who seem you know, quite rugged and hard, uh, who don't normally talk about spiritual things, there is a part of their life where they're, they're confronted with their mortality and they start to think more carefully about spiritual things. And, and each one of us is really confronted with uh, our mortality and so sooner or later we think about spiritual things. Well, in Corinth, spiritual things were part and parcel of their society. Though They had idols that were everywhere. And Paul acknowledges their lifestyle as idolaters in the past. The idol worship seems to begin uh, in farming communities where people would offer particular sacrifices or go through particular rituals in order to get some sort of benefit from invisible powers they believed would either help them or harm them. And so they went through processes to persuade whatever gods were there to help them. For example, Zeus, they believed, was the god of the sky uh, and they believed that Zeus sent the rain. And so even in Corinth there were there were processions that were made along sacred trails where they'd walk along and they'd take uh, some offering and some sacrifice to an image in a temple and there they would worship gods like Apollo, the god of youth, music and prophecy, uh, Dionys- Dionysius, I think that's how you say it. They believed he uh, made the, 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 the sap fl- flow and the grapes to grow so they could get debauched. And then there was Demeter, uh, who they believed brought fertility uh, and grain from the earth. So the Corinthians were familiar with a, a pagan past and spiritual things. It takes more for our society to think about spiritual things, but Paul wants this church, the, the church at Corinth, to be on the right track. He doesn't want them to be waylaid as they, as they think about spiritual things. He wants them to think the right way about it. And so the first point in the outline here is that real spirituality begins with the living God. And that's something we see in verses 1 to 3. I'll read that now. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. The comment at the start there in verse 1, now about, is uh, a little... uh, little reminder for us to go back to chapter 7 where the Corinthians had written some letters to Paul and they they were curious about a number of things. They wrote to him and asked him about a number of things and one of the things was about marriage, another thing was about food sacrifice to idols and now the topic comes about, it says here, gifts of the spirit. But the uh, the word uh, you know, is not as helpful as it could be here. The, the word gift is not there, that's the charis word, it doesn't fit. But the uh, word for spirit there, that's the one we use for the, uh, the, the nail gun that's run by an air compressor. That's the, the pneumatic gun. You, you with me there? Uh, you go, yeah, okay. So maybe uh, pneumonia, the wind one. Yeah, so that's the, the, the pneumatic word there. Okay, so there's no, it's, not, it's more could be translated now about spirituals or about 
spiritual things. So that's, that's the broad topic. It's not just about gifts, but they are, they are included. And so Paul recognises that they've had spiritual experiences and they're curious about spiritual things, but he wants them to be on the right track. And so he begins with a, a very basic point. And when it comes to spiritual discernment, he's saying we need to identify the things that are coming from the Spirit of God. And what he's saying there is if, if somebody is saying, Jesus is my Lord and Saviour, if Jesus is Lord, he's saying, well, that's actually something we can attribute to God's work in someone's life. That's a very basic getting off first base principle. When somebody says Jesus is Lord, that is a, it's a basic confession, but it's, it's an important one. Uh, Paul makes the link that someone's really declaring their allegiance uh, to Jesus as their God. In Romans chapter 10, Paul says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's actually a quote from an Old Testament passage in Amos, where in the past it's referring to God. And Paul attributes that to Jesus. He's applying it to Jesus and saying, if someone says uh, Jesus is Lord, they're saying they're, they're allied to him. He is their God. And Paul's saying, if somebody does this, if somebody confesses Jesus as Lord, and that's a genuine thing, we can attribute that to the, the Spirit of God at work in someone's life. And so the first point really is that uh, real spirituality comes uh, from God. He's the source of spiritual life with him. Now, Paul wanted the Corinthians to be on the right track, but God wants us to be on the right track too. And so, when it comes to spiritual things, our society is broadly in denial. People uh, push God to the margins. Uh, it's, there's a dominant worldview, which could be called naturalism, which basically sort of says... There's only material things. Uh, there is no God. God's missing in action. And life's just one thing after another without any God behind it all. Uh, people uh, doubt the idea of any spiritual powers or any spiritual dimension. And this filters down even into the way our society is conducted. I know that uh, from the Board of Studies there is a curriculum that's in state schools in New South Wales and God's not really in the curriculum. Uh, when I was working at the Christian school we had to make sure that God got put in the curriculum. Uh, as a kid I grew up going to a state school thinking that things like abortion was actually a, a good pathway. Uh, things like the morning after pill were, were okay. Uh, and different uh, usage of different drugs, we got informed about that, and, and even uh, sexual activities outside of marriage. All of these things, I started to think that these kinds of things were okay because God was not really in the curriculum. Uh, but as we come to God's Word, we see a different way of life that God calls His people to, uh, where society pushes God out and denies God's uh, place, and forgets about God, God is the one who runs the universe. It's his universe and we are accountable to him. When it comes to spiritual things, people want uh, plenty of meaning, but they don't want any responsibility to uh, be accountable to God. In other societies, 
spirituality is a bit more like it was in Corinth. Uh, there are superstitions that people have and they're busy creating sacrifices and putting together offerings in order to be protected and to placate the gods so that they're not terrorised by them. When I was in Indonesia, I was struck by the number of statues and temples that were being made, even in people's backyards. They would be making these temples to sell them. And I was curious about who they're going to sell these things to because everybody seemed to have them. And they had offerings that they made with food and incense sticks and, and flowers that they'd put on the street and around the place and, and uh, Fido the dog and... Uh, <laughs> Max the dog would come and eat these things and so their offerings got put around everywhere but they'd, they'd kind of get munched up. But Paul doesn't really want us to think about spirituality uh, in those terms. He doesn't want us to think about mother nature. He wants us to think that God's the one who gives us uh, life. And so where our society spiritually pushes God aside and other societies are into superstitions, we have a correction here to see that uh, spirituality begins with God and he's the one who gives us life with him as we trust in Jesus. Well, that's the first topic today in, in the topic of God-given spirituality. Real spirituality begins with the living and true God. That's the right way to think about spiritual things. Secondly, God gives his church spiritual gifts and that's for the benefit of all people. I'll pick this up in verse 4 through to 7. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The Corinthians were familiar with their different idols and they might have uh, been putting together their offerings, their sacrifices, going through the different ceremonies in order to placate the, placate the gods, to, to get what they wanted. They kind of twisted their arm to get some benefit, more grain, more wine. Uh, perhaps some healing from some sickness or disease. That was what they were involved in. Depending on the problem they wanted to solve, they would choose from the plethora of gods to come and get the right outcome. But in these verses, Paul's teaching that uh, spirituality with God is different. Uh, he's different to a plethora of gods that they might have been used to and that God is actually one. He's one God, but he's complex. And we see that sort of complexity there in verses 4 and 5, don't we? Uh, different kinds of spirit, but the, different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord. And different kinds of working, but the same God. Where do, what does that remind you of, that language? It reminds me of Jesus when he talks about uh, baptizing disciples in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so we see that Paul's saying, God's different to the plethora of gods. He's one God, but he's a complex unity. The next point is that God gives uh, spiritual gifts to his church for the benefit of all. You see that in verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation or the revelation of the Spirit is given for the common good. 
And so the focus here in this passage is very much on uh, the goodness of God, the grace of God giving his church what it needs. If we've got gifts and abilities in this church, uh, it's because they've been given to us by God. That's the, the main point here. It's not the focus on somebody with their particular gifts. They're some kind of spiritual hero and they like to measure themselves against the next person and pull ranks. They're some sort of general in the Christian world, uh, whereas somebody else is a grunt. That's not the kind of the thrust of this passage. Paul's saying that the glory goes to God because he's the one who gives the various gifts of the Spirit. We see that in the list here, and I'll comment on this in a moment, so let's have a look at verse 8 through to 11. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. There's a bit of a theme here, isn't there, really? It's given by the one Spirit. To another miraculous powers and to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between Spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determined. As we scan that list, we can see that there's probably a broad division between uh, gifts that are associated with speaking and gifts that are associated with some kind of action. The speech ones tend to be the message of wisdom and knowledge, prophecy, distinguishing between different spirits, speaking and interpreting tongues. And the action ones seem to be uh, healing and miraculous powers. And not all of these things are well defined. There's not a a clear definition of what all these things mean. Uh, But some commentators have noted that there's also a counterbalance in how some of these things might be used for the benefit of the church. For example, if you've got a tongue speaker, that could mean they're speaking a foreign language or it could mean that they're speaking uh, something else. But they wouldn't be much help to the congregation without an interpreter. And so that counterbalances having the, this particular gift. And likewise, if there's prophecy, what that amounts to, it's, it's not altogether clear. Uh, it could be uh, speaking forth the truth and, and applying it carefully into people's lives, or it could be talking about the return of the Lord Jesus. Um, it could be some future telling. It's, it's not easy to know. But the prophecies in chapter 14 need to be tested and so if there's a prophecy it's supposed to be weighed by other people and so that counterbalances this prophecy too but how would they evaluate whether the prophecy is true or not how would they test a prophecy it would have to be tested through a higher authority and that would be does it accord well with God's word or not or does it contradict God's word furthermore even uh, healings, if they are attempted or claimed that didn't promote faith in God, that those things would be uh, discouraging or misleading for God's people. So healings ought to be uh, accurate, attempted or claimed that do promote faith in God. And I, I recall um, a situation where my grandfather lay dying of, of some cancer, sadly, and the church gathered together to, to pray for Tom. Uh, and sometimes some were claiming too much for his healing. And one of the 
people said to him, you know, you're holding your own, Tom. And of course, Tom was dying. He said, don't be ridiculous. Uh, and when he did die, a number of people were weakened a bit in their trust in God because some were claiming more for, for healing than they, than they should have. Well, in this list, we don't really get maybe as much of an explanation or a definition as we'd probably like for some of these things. But it's not really Paul's main concern either at this point because here he's saying the focus is on it's the one spirit who's giving these things. The essence of this is saying God's the hero. He's the one who gives the gifts to his church. He gives his people what they need. Verse 7, the manifestation of the spirit is there for the common good and all these things are are given by the same Spirit and distributed according to God's will. And so the focus here is really on the grace of God to his church. And also the idea that we're not, we're not supposed to be in the business of trying to manipulate God, like the way they might try to placate the, the gods of the Greek world. Uh, it's quite different. Spirituality is quite different in God's church. He's the one who is kind to his church and blesses his church with what it needs. The focus is also not on a particular person having uh, particular gifts and uh, this comes up a bit more later in, the, in chapter 14 about those with tongues and prophecy. But for now we note that uh, the gifts are given for the, for the benefit of the church, the common good and what that translates into is the strengthening of God's church, the encouragement of God's people and their comfort. We see that in chapter 14 verse 3. These things are all about strengthening uh, God's church. That's why God's given people different gifts and abilities. And so the application here really is bound up with giving glory to God. Uh, we've got to recognise that if we've got faith in Jesus, that, that has its origins in God's work in our life. God's been kind to us in that. God's given us his word to make us uh, competent for every good work. We know that from 2 Timothy 3 15 and 16, the, the Bible is uh, God's word and it's, it's to be useful for, for helping us to teach, rebuke, correct and train and encourage each other. And so as we read the Bible together and, and apply it in each of our lives, we use our words to, to build each other up, to strengthen each other and to encourage each other and to comfort each other. And so we use the gifts that, that God's given us and his word for the benefit of all in his church. And so the glory really goes to God, doesn't it? That's the application point there. Well, under the topic of God-given spirituality, we've seen that real spirituality begins with God. That's the first place to start. And secondly, God gives his church the gifts that they need for the benefit of all. That's the second point. But we see in the, the text today now that God's church is also a spiritual body. That's how we're to think of ourselves, as a spiritual body. I won't read this whole section, by the way. I'll pick up relevant parts. We see that just as God is one, the church is also one body, but it's diverse in its parts. And the church is supposed to reflect God's oneness also. Uh, in verse 12, we read just as... A body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Verse 13, for we were all baptised by one spirit, so as to form one body, 
whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Now, if we skip down to verse 27, Paul summarises it saying, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. God's one, a complex unity, and the church enjoys a oneness as well. It's described as a body, but a spiritual body, the body of Christ. And as it is one body, it has many parts, and each of the parts is special and important. And to make this point, Paul starts to use almost some visual imagery here. It's almost cartoon-like. Some people are good at drawing cartoons. and They make a bit of a, a funny thing of them sometimes. And Paul says, imagine if the whole body were an eye. There we go. Imagine that. If it, if it were an eye, where would the hearing be? Well, the answer is the hearing would be missing, wouldn't it? There wouldn't be any hearing. It's only an eye. And so the body would be incomplete because it can only see. Or if it was an ear, uh, where would the sense of smell be? Once again, the sense of smell wouldn't be there. The body would be missing that sense of smell. It can't smell what you're having for dinner. And... Uh, roses and nice things it's a it's an incomplete body without that sense of smell paul's making the point that each part is important and he's really saying that each member is important with their own individual gifts and abilities and in verse 24 if you kindly turn to verse 24 we see that paul makes the point that the church is god's work bit of a croaky voice there mm -hmm. Verse 24, God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. And the point here is that even though uh, people are different, that's okay. Uh, they're all dignified, they're all special, they're all important. And each person should be cared for equally. In the list in verses 28 through to 31, Paul talks about how uh, there, is, there are different people given with different gifts in the church for its strengthening and its encouragement. There's no elders, you might notice, in that list. That's intriguing. Um, but I take it that the elders are the ones who are the teachers, Possibly the prophets, depending on what that means. Um, but it's noteworthy that Paul does put tongue-speaking at the very bottom of the list. Some might have been making more of that particular gift uh, than was appropriate, and we'll see more of that when Scott preaches later in chapter 14. In application, we can see that God cares for his church. Uh, he cares so much that he sent his son to die so that we might enjoy life with him. Forgiveness of sins comes by trusting in Jesus as Lord and Saviour, that he laid down his life for us. And as a result of trusting in him, we become members of God's family. We become children of God. And in this passage, that idea is about being incorporated into the body of Christ. That's the language that's used there in verse 13 about being baptised into one body, and uh, as we are the body of Christ, we're, we're thinking of ourselves as God's children. Whether those people were Jews or Greeks, slave or free, they were still 
united together. Now, these, these divisions would have meant that, apart from Jesus, they wouldn't have had a lot to do with each other. The, the slaves wouldn't have been uh, hanging out in the same way, going bushwalking or playing soccer with the free. Uh, the, the Jews and the Greeks were divided amongst each other. And even as we think about our church here in Port Macquarie, we remember that God's been kind to us. He's, he's given us life in Christ, and that's brought a diverse group of people together. I don't know how many of you people would be hanging out with me, except by the fact that I'm a Christian and you are too. Even though we've got diversity, uh, the Bible's saying that that's okay. It's good that there's diversity. And yet at the same time, we have a, a unity, don't we? We have a solidarity. Jesus is our Lord and Saviour, we're part of the one body and each person in church is important. And so I hope uh, as you go out from church today, you remember that. I hope nobody here feels like a second-class citizen. I hope you don't think that um, just because you might not be an elder or you might not be speaking out the front, that somehow you're not a legitimate and special member of the body of Christ. Because it's not true. Um, that's what we've learnt today, that there's different people with different gifts and abilities, but we're all part of the one body. It's a very flat system, really. Uh, there's no rank. Uh, even in the eldership, the, the moderator doesn't even get to uh, vote, except if there's a scores level situation. The moderator gets gets a, a casting vote, uh, and that's because Jesus is the head of our church. Um, Scott's not the head of it. I'm not the head of it, there's a relief. Uh, Jesus is the head of the church, uh, and so that's why it's, it's kind of flat. We're all, if we're in Christ, uh, we're important, we're special. And so today, let me encourage you to rejoice in that. Enjoy the fact that God's given us different gifts and abilities, and that we can enjoy... Uh, Seeing each other is important and wanting to preserve that. That's, that's the challenge anyway, for us to really work at that. Well, in conclusion, I'm, I'm going to sum up here. Uh, real spirituality begins with God and his work in our life. God might be missing from the school curriculum, but he certainly rules the universe uh, and we're accountable to him. And we're to think about spiritual things, not about Mother Earth and Mother Nature, where to think about spiritual things as, as God who's a creator, who's made a world and he's given us a saviour, Jesus. And if we confess that Jesus is Lord and saviour, it's because of his work in our life. That's the first measure of spiritual discernment. Real spirituality begins with God. Secondly, God gives his church spiritual gifts for the benefit of all. Uh, giftedness is not about pulling rank over the next person. It's about encouraging and strengthening God's people. And finally, we see that the church is a spiritual body and that each member is an important part of it, dignified and special. And we should be uh, enjoying that um, connection that we do have as the body of Christ. Well, may God strengthen us as we seek to live together uh, well as his people. Let us close in a word of prayer. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for this word today. Uh, we thank you of the reminder of... Um, of your goodness uh, in giving us life with you. Uh, we thank you that you've brought us into your family and that we are members of the body of Christ. And we thank you that you've given us different gifts and ability uh, for the strengthening of your church, 
for its encouragement and for its comfort. And Lord, we uh, do pray that we would um, be mindful of the importance of each member. Help us to uh, keep the bond of peace, uh, to bear with one, one another, to forgive whatever grievances we have against one another. Help us to uh, love our neighbour as ourself. We pray that you'd help us to preserve uh, the unity that we share in Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. Thank you for this time now. We've had to think about these good things and we pray for these in Jesus' name. Amen.